Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Disco Fever, Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery, Episode 2, Far From Home. And once again, the two marks are delivering an irreverent review, providing you lively debate, conversation, and social commentary. Will Burnham and Bookshelf develop their romantic entanglement? Will Dave be breathing a sigh of relief as the recruitment call has been answered? Will Barry Scott appear with his Sinnet Bang Mold remover? Bang, and the parasitic frost is gone. Has the crew crashed into the planet Hyman and damaged it? All this and much more will be unpacked in this week's episode. Let me introduce my friend and co-host, Mr. Mark Pollard. Hello. Hi, yeah. <laughs> I always find it very difficult to live up to those introductions because they're so splendid, so well-planned, thought through. Yes, how are you doing, mate? I'm not too bad. Before we get on, I've got a bit of a gripe that I need to get off my chest. Spec savers. <laughs> Okay. If they'd like to be a sponsor of the show, before Mark offends anyone to do with Spec Savers, if you'd like to be a sponsor of the show, Disco Fever at thepodstation.co.uk. Well, let's wait and see until I... Yeah, I was going to say, go on, go on, (laughs) cost me some money. I got a letter the other day saying that I was overdue for an eye test. Would I want to book an appointment? Then I got a text saying, don't forget we sent you a letter saying we need a book appointment. Two things wrong with that, my friend. If I can read a letter and I can read a text, my eyesight's fucking great, isn't it? <laughs> and the second thing is, I've been in lockdown since March this year. What else do I need to see very well apart from people ignoring the local lockdown and being a bit upset about the fact they can't go and have 15 beers in a pub? <laughs> So spec savers, you can keep your eye test because I already have two a year. I don't need any more. Yeah, I just want to get that little rant off my chest. Sorry, spec savers. A two-year eye test is more than enough. Thank you very much. Listeners, send your invoices in for your counselling charges for Mark offloading. You may have also realised that we are this week without any irritating buzz in the background of this recording. My sincere apologies for my ineptitude last week, which left us with a noise that try our best we might. We couldn't shift. It sounded like someone was boring a dentist drill into the back of your skull throughout. Hopefully you've persevered. Hopefully you're going to give us another go this week and hopefully the sound is a touch better once Mark's finished having his rant. Oh, the rant is over. We can move on now calmly and serenely. Well, is it? Because, of course, we're moving on to this episode that uh, we obviously are going to deep delve into at some point. Shall we tell people where we can find us first before we, we get too ensconced in our dissection of said episode? Do the interesting bit. Yeah, indeed. If this is the first time you've listened to Disco Fever, which is highly plausible because Mark's been so slow at editing all the other episodes, that actually it's highly likely that Star Trek Discovery will be an antique show with outdated special effects by the time it's finished. However, if you would like to catch all the future shows, because we're going to be doing these weekly while Season three's out, and Mark will be sporadically dropping Season 1 and Season 2 episodes that we've already recorded as he finishes editing them as a bit of a, a Brucey bow bonus then of course you can go to the podstation.co.uk find the disco fever or indeed our other star trek show picard talk pages where you will find these shows because dropping them onto both channels in case you listen to either or you will also find on those pages links to all the major podcast platforms where you can subscribe to our show so you can get them on all of the usual apple google spotify deezer stitcher TuneIn. you can subscribe it'll automatically upload onto your phone every single time we drop a latest episode. If you want to send us some abusive messages, then we are on all of the socials. To keep things simple, we'll stick with the Picard Talk channels. So we're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Send your abusive messages to Mark Latham. Yes, please do, because I have the most ridiculously sounding Twitter handle. <laughs> you'll never find me. And if you do, you'll just be ejected into space. <laughs> if you're from Specsavers, of course, perhaps you will have a, a, a legitimate reason for complaining. Drop us comments on there. We usually run a poll following each episode to give you a chance to let us know. And if you stick your name in and, and your comments, we usually read them out on the show too, which is always nice because it gives you a bit of a shout out. What else? If you want to send us an email, which sounds like an awful lot more like hard work and in actual fact you've probably got a rant that you want to put across if you've decided that going to the keyboard warrior email option then disco fever at the uk. get it all out your system it's always good to talk but not a lot if you're if you're complaining well if it's too long there is a possibility <laughs> i won't read it all i'll be entirely honest we did in the picard talk episode somebody <laughs> did send me a five-part message on twitter which got really really deep 
deep. And to be perfectly frank, I only got one and a half parts through before I decided that they were a nice person, but they were a bit too deep for my liking. So I said thank you and hopefully it ended well. I think you got the gist of it. Why say thousands of words when you can say... 20 characters. 20 characters. <laughs> please. Mark, should we do our overview of this episode before getting stuck into what our initial thoughts were? Absolutely, let's do the summary. After the USS Discovery crashes on a strange planet, the crew finds themselves running out of time to repair their ship. Meanwhile, Saru and Tilly embark on a dangerous first contact mission, hoping to find Burnham. Discuss. Hmm. (laughs) He wants to go first. (laughs) Well, let me just get straight, let me just get straight out the gate here. It's part two. It's not really a part two if i'm honest it's basically got the two in the far from home title which is a bit like the spider-man movie without spider-man for me i like the episode it wasn't as fast-paced as last week but it wasn't a two-parter because we only get to see burnham at the end it was just another episode with a number two what did you think I should get it in early and say that I enjoyed this episode. It was a good episode. There was lots to like about it. However, it was sufficiently inferior to episode one, where I feel there is plenty for me to be just generally sarcastic and unnecessarily (laughs) negative about it. Because, I don't know, it felt like it was basically episode one, but redone from the Discovery Crew's perspective. Learning exactly the same things that we learned last week with Bird. Burnham, but just with more people to learn what Burnham learned on their own last week, it just felt like they dipped into that old box of Star Trek storylines to produce this episode and so it didn't feel particularly original there wasn't a huge amount to it however i did particularly like the character developments and some of the character performances that they had in here i chuckled heartily throughout with the unnecessarily sarcastic comments by the likes of reno which if anyone's listened to this show before will fully appreciate that both mark and i wallow in sarcasm on a daily basis probably far too much for our own good we can fully relate to this sort of approach to life well i made some notes on that actually and i take your point it was a self-contained episode but it was standing in the footprints of the previous episode i mean my introduction mentions hymen well i'm calling it the hymen i think the planet's called hema for the benefits of comedic entertainment I've referred to it as Hyman. What I did like, actually, if we're going to pick on some of the better parts of it, although it did seem to be a repetition, I don't think they're on the same planet as Burnham was. Well, we'll get to that because that's probably about line number three of my usually short notes. Because at first, when they did land on the planet after another very Hollywood-esque style introduction when they're coming crashing down, I actually thought it was the same planet. From filming perspectives, they clearly filmed it at the same location (laughs) because it absolutely was identical bar the ice bit and I did think they were on the same planet. For the benefit of ruining people's reality it was filmed in Iceland. Yeah. Oh there was never any doubt in my mind that it filmed those two episodes in exactly the same place. You see I thought the same planet because if you think about a planet rather than regions yes you can have icy places and then yes you can have warmer places and barren places. I did actually think it was Hema as it seemed based on the end and the way they, they called it the colony and things like that I didn't get the impression it was clearly Iceland not, yes. the, not the shop if you want to be a sponsor get in touch <laughs> well they probably won't they seem to be shutting lots of <laughs> outlets at the minute so they, they might not be able to afford us to be perfectly frank oh well we'll do a discount the interesting thing this episode was also directed by Olatundo Asami who did last week's one that I mentioned who they should keep on as a director thought it was a really good episode last week and I like this one I think yeah. she's doing the last episode you know of this season really yeah so there's a few theories that actually part two of episode one will actually be the final episode of this season all the bits in the middle might actually make for however it works out but it felt very Star Trek Generations did this beginning. We've talked about the starship crashing. Yeah. I actually thought when I saw the trailer was it an opportunity that whoever designed that ship with a set square clearly didn't have an eye for design it's literally a triangle in space with a massive circle on the front of it. I thought how are you going to get around that into a redesign? Just crash it because that's the only way you can get around explaining why you've improved the ship's design. 
was a Star Trek Generations. It was a Voyager. Deep Space Nine was on a space station. Anytime they wanted to do a refit on the original series movies, it either got blown up or crashed. It wasn't as badly damaged when it landed, though. In the Generations film, one of the most, and obviously not the first couple of times when they all died painfully and tragically, but in the end when actually the view screen's been smashed through and so you can see the actual light outside. and outside, yeah. it felt a little bit like the other TV series that have come before when these starships crash ridiculously quickly at outrageous speeds but seem relatively untouched. Well, there's a couple of scrapes which you could probably polish out, but otherwise it seems pretty unscathed from the outside and that kind of came across because if we go back to the end of season two, I'm pretty certain that their shields were pretty much non-existent by the time they were able to go through the whatever it was that Burnham created and actually as they were coming crashing down they were having to do that spin because the shields weren't able to keep it intact without Mm. them disintegrating so there can't have been that much shields but somehow they still managed to not end up with one of the windows being put through by a tree or parasitic ice as turned out to be the case. I suppose they didn't hit it with the same level of force. I think they had control over it as they landed but they weren't. They smashed through somebody's moon. I don't know who's going to foot the bill for that. <laughs> they didn't have shields at that time. I am surprised that the damage wasn't more severe. And also, with all the damage on the ship, the only thing that they take with them is an ice cream maker. We'll get to this. The whole leaving of the ship was a little bit of an issue, which we've discussed previously about this particular show. Before we disappear out onto the away mission, I just <laughs> wanted to start by mentioning Kayla, who's one of the front comms characters. Next to Awowu or whatever. Detma. Yeah, that's her. She's called Kayla, I think her unofficial first name, but I think her actual surname that they refer to her is that. She seemed pretty fine. In fact, she came up with a very good suggestion about rolling in to spread the heat of the ship. And then they crashed. And then something weird seemed to happen to her for the rest of the episode. And I couldn't decide whether it was shock. I couldn't decide whether it was some sort of PTSD, although it didn't seem to have affected her. And nothing major happened between when she seemed fine and when she didn't. Or whether something to do with her impact plants has been affected by virtue of the fact that they're now in this future timeline. Well I have a theory and I'm glad you brought that up. My theory I think she's been infiltrated by control. Oh I hope not. I just got the impression because obviously Leyland is on the bottom of Giorgio's foot. (laughs) And they did focus it. I mean they dwelled on that a second too long which suggests you might have a point. So you think about it, the only other person last season in the episode Project Daedalus, Arium was infiltrated forced to go against their programming and ended up being killed. I wondered the only other one that we've seen that has cybernetic implants is Detma. Yeah. And the only way control is going to infiltrate is through technology. I really hope not. I genuinely hope not. I, I thought they put that to bed last season. I didn't particularly think that control was that interested in a bad person anyway or big bad to begin with. So I, I was happy to see the end of it there's loads more that they could pick on as being the big bad in this new unknown universe so to go back to control would feel a little bit lazy and a bit obvious i hope not it is possible because i couldn't tell whether it was for comedic effect or whether it was to go haha so you think that's the end of control well actually it's on the bottom of jojo's shoe and slightly over her right shoulder too <laughs> although i do have a massive theory <laughs> i'm glad you finished that sentence the way you did the internet hung then at the wrong moment (laughs) i wondered where you were going well i was a bit hung as well (laughs) a massive theory that ties up all of what we're talking about later in this episode for the people who are well into geekdom stay right there stay tuned around the same time as dietmer has anyone noticed the size of the bridge is massive considering as we find out that there are 88 crew on board loads of room on the bridge now i thought maybe by navigation or one of the other consoles you could put like a buffet table so if you ever found yourself out to grass you could go brace 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 butty sausage roll a <laughs> uh, couple of things there what's the brace 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 shout is that on the assumption that nobody on the ship was aware that they were hurtling towards a planet i think that might be for the viewer who's only ever heard that if they've crashed in an airplane technically if they've crashed in an airplane the likelihood is they've died and so therefore really, i'm watching this yeah yeah i wouldn't think that anyone in starfleet would not have trained for something like this if you think about it, helicopter pilot trained for helicopter crashes about a minute before they do crash saru gets on of the tannoy to go 
everyone you need to brace get yourself strapped in having the two people driving it just letting you know just for certainty purposes that what was already going to happen is definitely going to happen yeah i didn't feel that was necessary but there we go it was a minor thing yeah i don't think there was as much damage done to it as you'd have thought with the way that it crashed they pretty much exactly. by the end of the episode everything seemed to be relatively cushy i know the computer screens were flickering but all that needed was a reboot it turns out there was only one thing <laughs> that somebody needed to fix and and that was all fine and dandy so it didn't seem as badly damaged hey ho i think the one thing that we do find throughout the course of this episode there is an ongoing thread of character development here rather than necessarily story development last week we learned a, a bit more i won't say a lot we did learn some about where the future's at generally and what the situation is this week we get a small amount of the same information again but more for the benefit of the crew but largely this is very orientated towards character interaction isn't it and development of relationships and reintroducing us to the crew of the ship that's absolutely spot on when you mentioned Deepma, one of the things i noticed particularly with her was in season two they began to develop ariam's character and it looked like i mean i know we're only on episode two of season three but it looked like with Dietma they were trying to use her more whether my theory is right or not i really hope they continue to do that i have to congratulate you my friend calling dr pollard calling dr pollard we now cut to an episode of casualty oh hang on no it's still the discovery and we are now finding that human resources has answered and the medical bay is now filled with nurses and doctors. And you're one of them because they've clearly got the shortage with just Dr. Culber. Mm. So they've, they've called on you again. To be fair, though, I do think they need to improve the medical bay because it looks a lot like an Apple store and seems to be a bit more style over substance. What would happen if they had an, an outbreak? They've got two beds and Dave, obviously yourself, Dr. Pollard. So <laughs> Dr. Culber's too busy giving stamets an blocker, which in fairness, when I saw that scene, I wished he gave me one. <laughs> an blocker that is. Thoughts on the state of sick bay? I thought it looked quite tidy and quite quiet when we first panned <laughs> on there and stamets was in his little coma, but as they brought him out of it, obviously, Obviously, it brought them more into the reality of it was a, a touch busier. It did highlight the issue that you find with giving doctors all white uniforms because it didn't seem particularly hygienic when Colbert was walking around treating people with lashings of other people's blood all over oh. his all over his uniform. Can anyone just go, ah, geez, you know what, it's all right, I'll die in the corner quietly rather than... <laughs> Then, then you give me whatever illnesses and diseases that are, are on all of the body parts that seem to be splattered all over your personage. Maybe change your top, your coat when it gets to a point where you're absolutely lathered. It did appear that sick bay was actually looking like a proper sick bay this time. With its two beds? Yeah, full. Tacked on top of each other. It was like a medieval scene. I thought Culbert actually played some good parts. He had some good lines in this episode. I thought he was, he yeah. was very natural and very good with the way he was rather pissed throughout with Stamets just deciding to ignore all the Doctor's orders, which is actually a bugbear of mine. I don't quite understand why there needs to be these characters who get told by the Doctors that they're not well enough to do something, insist on ignoring the Doctors only to find that actually the Doctors were right in the first place and they cause problems as a result of ignoring those things. Because you mentioned Arium before, the girl who played Arium originally in season one was actually the blonde girl who was standing next to Reno when Stamets was stuck in the Jeffries tube moaning about the fact that he was poorly and couldn't move having been told by Culbert that he shouldn't be getting his ass up there in the first place we'll come to the Stamets Reno bit I think a little bit further on one of the main character developments I think that was at the front and centre throughout this episode was Giorgio and, and Saru who seemed to be the Starfleet position on things and the non Starfleet position on things and how the difference of approaches to the same problem differ slightly between the two. She looks like a handful. I wouldn't want to be in charge of Georgia, put it that way. Let's just backtrack a little bit. You're not a fan of her. Is it the character or is it the actress playing I her? didn't like Giorgio the goody, the original okay, one. I like don't necessarily think she's the world's best character when she was playing it deadpan serious, but now she's playing the more camp, devilishly evil Giorgio from the Mirror Universe. I actually do think she's a great character. 
character. This episode really shone for her as a character. I liked the Saru moment. I like the fact that we've not lost the values, experiences and protocols that have been entrenched in Starfleet from the beginning. I liked the mirror universe version of doing things. It also allowed for a lot of comedic opportunities. This episode, I noted the exchanges between Tilly, Giorgio and Reno, particularly Giorgio walking down the corridor with Narn. Yeah. She, she says, what an unbelievably shitty decision regards to being left on the Discovery, having been given the opportunity to go on the Enterprise. <laughs> and then, I don't know whether it's the exchange between Saru, the one that you're talking about, and her when she says, that's where bureaucracy goes to die. Yeah. She's not a fan of Section 31. I think it's because she knows that they probably wouldn't have given her what she wanted. That's why she mentions about jumping time zones or something. It's trying to keep ahead of the curve, probably. It's her world, isn't it? It's her perfect oh, world. Yeah. Everything's yeah. gone to shit. You can get away with blue bloody murder. I mean, she, she doesn't pull any punches. Saru does his very best to keep the leash on her. But at the end, when she kind of does this rescue mission, Saru's kind of trying not to hurt people, but disabling them in a way so that they're no longer a problem. She's just shooting people who were lying on the floor, not necessarily causing any problems. She doesn't think twice about snapping someone's neck with her thigh. She was brutal and ruthless, which is what you would expect from Empress Giorgio. And, well, she's obviously going to be, ironically, a double-edged sword for the crew in this season. She's going to be both a massive asset because of the way she thinks and her ability to adapt to situations which are probably better suited for this universe. But she's going to be a right royal dangerous pain in the ass because <laughs> she will go and do that. Oh, yeah. Even if she's been told that she's not supposed to. It's not something I would want to manage, if I'm honest. It's just great that Saru isn't wavering in his approach to Starfleet, even though they don't have to. One thing I was going to ask you in regards to a scene where Giorgio's talking to Lieutenant Linus. Fans of the show will remember Lieutenant Linus is the amphibious looking creature that had a bit of a cold in season two and was snotting all over people. Wouldn't get away with it these days, my friend. Police will be called and you'd be wheeled off to prison for a £10 fine. Or you might not be, depending where you are in the country and what day of the week it is. In that scene, she has a curious interest in Lieutenant Linus's enormous visible spectrum. Yeah, but I... I've done some deep delving into this. Do we think it's something sexual or an enormous visual spectrum would mean that you get to see different wavelengths? Is it because she has an advantage of a plan that she's hatching whilst in this time period? Is it a sexual pun about length? At first, it did seem that there may be some sexual connotations there, but I think she just had him looking out of the window to see where Saru and Tilly were headed so that she could follow them. And because they didn't have any scanners and they don't have any means to track where those two were going she was using his extra special eyesight a bit like having a set of binoculars really isn't it you seemed very excited about the prospect it might have been I mean who knows our listeners might know (laughs) yeah perhaps it might have been uh, something that comes to light further down the line I found Saru very Captain Janeway in this you know how when they ended up in the Delta Quadrant she was always I know we're not anywhere near Starfleet and I know it's going to ruin our ability to get home but we are going to stick by our principles and by our rules and Saru was very much the same in this which obviously yeah. was the yin to George O's yang and that's why they really worked well together and also taken on board with your point about Janeway because they were in the Delta Quadrants even in the later series there was decisions where the ethics were based upon virtue ethics when she was bastardising the ship with Borg technology they basically were using something that probably wouldn't be Starfleet approved but because it would shorten their journey and they were the only Federation ship other than the other Federation ship in the Delta Quadrant it's anything to get us home if it carries on the way it is with Saru being Starfleet and Giorgio being Mirror Universe Empire they don't hate each other it's an odd dynamic but it works really well it's just a different approach isn't it I I don't think they do I mean she still looks him and thinks of a meal ticket she's also not aware or wasn't aware of his puberty (laughs) maturing that came to fruition in the last episode where he suddenly developed spikes instead of his big googly gangly never work yeah what we did find here was the Discovery's away team protocols haven't been adapted for the future world so despite the fact that there are 88 crew which minus injured people left 72 people and despite the fact that they have a security team somewhere on there and if not a team then they certainly have a security officer in the form of Nam. they decided to send their standard just two people out on an away mission which we've often mocked in previous episodes because it was usually burned 
Burnham and Ash Tyler who went. But in this... Tyler, who was a, a Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> who they didn't know. Found him in a trampy little cell. I don't you need to be. You need to be immediately promoted to head of security without any due process or checking out your provenance. They've downplayed the protocol. They now don't believe they need to take any form of security officer with them. So the captain of the ship, the most important person on the ship, now goes away on the away mission. So if he gets killed, Jojo is left to take charge and God help us all. And we take Tilly, who God loved Tilly, but I'm not necessarily sure in a gunfight she'd be the first person from that crew I'd want to have standing next to me. That's not to say she's not handy with a, a gun because yeah. obviously in episode two when there was the big dust mite ripping the people's heads and things off, she was pretty badass. But don't know, she obviously went for science as opposed to security when the options came up. A couple of observations. Did anyone seem to think that the clothing that they were wearing was similar to the knitwear that your gran would make but started off as a beanie hat and just carried on into a full-length body stocking or whatever? It seemed very yuppie clothing, <laughs> which coming from someone with a beard and now long-flowing locks, I can attest to the fact that, yes, it, it would be an item of clothing that I would, of course, adorn as now <laughs> a hipster. The other thing as well is throughout Star Trek canon, there's been different incarnations and how captains should behave in terms of away missions. That's at least twice now, I think, where we've had the captain leave the ship in Discovery. Well, Pike went every time, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, Pike and the Saru. Wonder what people think about that, whether they think it's a good decision. Should the captain leave the ship? Particularly, not only when your safety is the ship, and secondly, on a planet in a place that you don't know. Let's say you've used. I did like the line he says to Ensign Tilly, which I thought was a wonderful moment in the episode. He says, we are introducing ourselves to the future. You, Ensign Tilly, make a wonderful first impression. He recognises Tilly as the type of person to be able to do that, and whether that was what was playing in his decision making. Well, you say that. My question was going to be, do we think that Tilly's character, was she slightly let down by the storyline in this particular episode? Throughout the course of this episode, she's in exactly the same situation as everyone else, but she's like Scooby-Doo and Shaggy are in the cartoons where when they think the ghost is coming, they're the ones who are trembling in the corner like big scaredy cowdy cats. And she's like... And she, she's like this throughout the entire episode where she's ridiculously scared all the time, unlike everyone else who seems to be just getting on with it. And then when it comes to the fight scene in the bar, they say, right, Tilly, you go hide behind the bar while we sort this out. Which actually, again, going back to episode two of season one, where she basically went all commando SES on us when she was having to face the big dust mite, doesn't feel very Tilly because we know she can handle herself when she needs to be. And actually in this episode, episode she felt like that stereotypical oh well we'll make the woman the scared vulnerable one and we'll have her hide behind the bar while we take out and obviously Jojo's a woman but I didn't necessarily think it did her character any service particularly by doing that because it didn't feel very Tilly actually. It didn't make use of her properly especially when you've established that she can hold her own but then I suppose when you've got a scene playing off against several strong characters there's got to be a compromise hasn't there and unfortunately I think Tilly was a victim of that you know Saru with his sharpened ganglia Giorgio with her supreme fighting skills and a pretty strong male villain all playing off against each other I think to have a fourth in the mix probably would have done her a disservice because it's not particularly how she is as a person but also at the same time somehow devolves her character because she's now going back to this frightened person which we know from previous episodes she isn't. It was a bit of a spaghetti western in the end wasn't it dear way? I mean they even had the bar designed like a western bar with the swing doors as you walked in. Well, even the footage of him walking in with spares. Yeah. Oh, the whole thing shouted Spaghetti Western, so I loved all that. I don't know what your thought was. Mm, it felt like it being done before. I don't really understand why a bar in the future would be, why the design would be based upon... <laughs> a bar from the 1700s in America or whenever the hell the Wild West was. I just don't understand it particularly. They had the technology didn't they where they could rebuild part in moments for the discovery and yet they were serving booze in what could only be described as a dirty looking test tube. To answer your question and where we've seen it before, the answer is Westwell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Isn't it? Anyone who's just watched three seasons of Westworld will go, hmm, where have I seen that before? It does get overused. And unfortunately, I think the timing, because Western type films are having a bit of a renaissance, Deadwood got a movie made. And I think also every episode of Star Trek's had some sort of Western episode at some point or something that conjures those motifs and tropes. It wasn't offensive. It, no. it just felt like it being done before, which was a shame because everything else so far in this season has felt quite new and fresh and different. And I quite like the idea that things can be completely fresh and different because you've got a blank canvas to work with and yet they've got this blank canvas that they've just drawn the same picture from another I mean how many Wild West episodes did we get with Next Gen with War and Datas yeah exactly it felt a bit unnecessary it was fine I mean it wasn't as I said from the outset it formed a very small part of the actual episode really didn't it it was more about the Giorgio Saru standoff power battle it was very much about the team working together on the ship which mainly followed Stamets and Reno who I have to say Reno was the MVP of this episode by a country mile. Do we reckon that Gene will be who has been credited as Ensign Hazmat will be seen again? He actually is now joined forces with our Dave from Sickbay. I was gonna say exactly <laughs> the same thing and when I was like that has to be probably one of the funniest lines I've heard in Star Trek <laughs> when she refers to the hazmat boy cleaning up in aisle five and then he corrects her with his name and she goes I've forgotten it already she is just genius absolute genius comedy gold with her one line witty retorts they're trying to repair the ship she's sitting off just giving <laughs> high on drugs calling people bobcats just having the bounce Stamets is stuck in a tube panicking like anything and she's just chilling out well everything I like about her is everything reason why Stamets was quite irritating in this episode because Reno who's sitting there as we say sitting off high on drugs completely accepting the fact that she's broken and therefore can't be much use she's going I don't think you should climb up there and he's going well why don't you do and she's going because I'm broken you dick and you're broken too so why don't we get some some other schmuck to go up there for as the Stamets is like no well I'll do it I can do it I'm no problem I can do it and then climbs up and obviously can't do it because he's broken and Reno being the cool character that she is he's still sitting off at the bottom just basically firing shots at him while he's crawling through a tube let's not forget Dr. Culber let's go back to the sick bay malarkey made him go into an induced coma for five seconds but, and then he's basically hang on a minute we've got shit to do you can't be in a coma you know you get yourself down a Jeffrey's tube pardon the pun the other thing is going back to Dietmer who goes to the doctors and doesn't tell the doctor they're not well this just taps back to the Tilly one where she's got these weird voices in her head and decides not to tell anyone because that's always the best way of dealing with the voices in your head <laughs> and also when all your mates ignore you and don't care about what happens and don't say not one of them on the bridge went you need to see some mental health experts but I do love the way that Reno very much put Stamets in his place throughout she makes Stamets's character more palatable just by virtue of watching her metaphorically kick the shit out of him if I was on that ship I would pop round to hers for a tea Earl Grey hot anytime she's just funny as absolutely yeah. hilarious she was everything that came out of her mouth was absolutely hilarious and in fact there was quite a lot of one witty bants type comments I think Tilly got one in early when they were in uh, Saru's captain room and Giorgio just been picking it Tilly over and over again and and Saru just managed to step in before Tilly told Jojo to go and fuck herself. <laughs> Yeah. which I thought was, was brilliant a lot of swearing in this episode it's hey, one of our podcasts I thought Commander Nam was a good one when uh, her and Giorgio are walking out the room and there's the creak as the ice starts to compress on the metal and she went ooh that's a fun new sound I particularly like that one chuckled at that I thought even Giorgio had a normally I find her witty bants comments not necessarily as funny but I think she had one when she arrived and said that talking fancy only meant that you had a thesaurus it didn't make you any more yeah. scary quite a lot and they seem to have last episode they went very much down the comedy route as well there was quite a lot of one-liners in there do we think this is going to be the style then that they're going to try and follow throughout this episode to make it feel a bit more light-hearted a bit less intense than the last two seasons I hope so because I think Next Generation always managed to find a good balance between telling a, a really poignant story getting you to think outside the box be more thoughtful about the episode and throw in some witticism I'm hoping they do because I really like how this season 
season's developing and I don't know whether it's because it's all planet based at the moment and we're getting to see the new frontier why I suppose it taps into it being a western and also it may well just be a nice callback because since you mentioned it now thinking about it one of Data's characters that he had develop his more human side ended up being on the holodeck in the western era yeah it may have just been a, a callback to that I don't know and as I suppose with all good westerns we have an opportunity to finish off the bad guy for good but of course we don't we let him wander off into the distance to certain death into the horizon but as we always know with a good horror movie if you don't see the body then it means they're not dead and so are we expecting what was a rather underwhelming bad guy if I'm being entirely honest do we expect to see him again at a further point during this season to reap revenge because he was a dick and actually got outsmarted and overpowered on this particular occasion I was going to ask you the same question and my answer would be is I think we might see him again and I have a feeling he might be part of the Tellarite exchange because his characters like bookshelf she's a courier but this one's a bit of a new bookshelf well he's built like a tank bookshelf yeah A good bookshelf, not one from, I don't know, Argos. One that would be built to hold first editions. Yeah, absolutely. Although, of course, if Argos are listening and they would like <laughs> to be a sponsor, then <laughs> Disco Fever at the podstation.co.uk. Your money's as good as Ikea's. Because we've lost Specsavers as a sponsor. Yeah, absolutely. We think he might come back and have another go. Towards the end of the episode, we, of course, were struggling to release ourselves from the parasitic ice caps which is a very standard star trek problem to find yourself in and obviously just towards the end of the episode they're fighting to get away and a ship comes out and we're thinking oh well obviously i say we're thinking i didn't at any point we're thinking oh no it's a bad guy who's gonna come and do bad stuff to them and blow them up and destroy them and it wasn't was it no it was bookshelf and burnham well, we're assuming Bookshelf is there. We haven't actually seen him, but Burnham was there, wasn't she? With her new haircut. And can I just point out that whatever it is that she eats as a diet, can she pass me on the recipes, please? Because if that's how long her hair grows in just 12 months, then I think both Mark and I, with our receding hairlines, will be exceedingly interested to know what it is that uh, she consumes that gives her hair such a rather fast-growing speed. You literally have taken what's on my notes and you've made it your own. Because I put, did anyone think that Burnham's new hairdo had grown extremely fast since last we saw her in episode one, which was a year ago? And I said, I mean, look at your hair and you haven't cut it since March. And it definitely hasn't, yeah. I mean, my hair hasn't been touched with a pair of scissors for now about nine months. And I haven't even got close to how long Burnham seems to have successfully grown hers. Well, I got bored and was awake at five o'clock in the morning and took clippers to mine. So I don't know whether, I'm not a hairdresser by the fact that my hair would look like um, Britney Spears when she had a bit of a <laughs> nervous breakdown. It seems the fact that two complete noobs have managed to pick up on this fact, it does beg the question of, did nobody on the film production team go, uh we probably won't be able to get away with that. I mean, of course, there'll be many people who'll be shouting at their devices, which will make them look really silly because they're probably sitting on the train right now or walking the dog and shouting at themselves. But they're probably shouting, saying, well, there is such a thing as weaves. But of course, we don't know that weaves exist in the future, do we? Hair extensions. The other thing is, which you've just highlighted, having been someone who had cornrows (laughs) in a non-cultural appropriated way, because it was done in, in Nigeria by a Nigerian, it took seven hours to do my hair if bookshelf is the only person on that ship who's weaved their hair the cat grudge well he has got a grudge now <laughs> it's like i could be eating more food yeah that's a, a good growth of hair she seems very happy to see it i mean quite often when somebody has been left stranded i mean her mum in the previous season was a good example where when people are left stranded in a place where all the people they know and love aren't by the time that they're either found or retrieved or come back into contact with them they're always quite miserable and damaged as goods whereas she seemed genuinely quite happy about the fact that she'd found them and it looks like Buck's been looking after her she looked really healthy she looked very good I prefer her hair say that when you're drunk like it is now than I have done before I prefer her in the braids and it's only one year are you surprised by that fact because a year doesn't seem an awful long time in the general scheme of things does it no I mean they alluded to it not being because obviously a temporal mechanics and stuff they alluded to it being 
million a week, a day, a year. So I think in the interest of not losing the interest of the viewer, they've just gone, let's call it a year. Because I actually thought that it would have been really nice to, and I mentioned it in last week's episode, to have split the season down the middle and flipped between the crew of Discovery and have Bookshelf and Burnham, the new cop show that you mentioned last week, investigating crimes and searching for things and getting getting the goods to the people and then flip back to Discovery on a separate episode and just then at the end merge the two storylines together and then it all ends in control I think next episode is going to be largely like a flashback to what's happened over the last 12 months for Burnham they've obviously done this deliberately so that she has a general knowledge of what's happened over the last however many hundreds of years that they've jumped into the future she understands the technology she's got to grips with it sufficiently so that she can adapt and apply that to the circumstances that the Discovery crew find themselves in, which I suppose is going to be a useful story arc. Although I'd assume that's why Buck would probably be kept around so that he could do it. But if he's got his own ship and she's got her own ship, does this mean she's going to come back to the Discovery? And if she does come back to the Discovery, does Buck come back on the Discovery? I mean, presumably he'll be just following him around in his own ship. Is there enough dilithium to power two ships? Don't they need trial? lithium potatoes potatoes (laughs) well anyway i think that you probably hit the nail on the head there the year she's been rebuilding starfleet from the ground up at some point i think bookshelf's going to get commissioned into starfleet in whatever capacity that is as they align themselves with other species and start the united federation of planets again don't forget discovery's out of time so there's no historical data to support what happens from this point on so anything that happens now is brand new canon so they could have re started the federation and no one's got it in the history books they're inventing their own history mind blown moment but i think they will do exactly what you've said use that as a buffer episode give you an opportunity to palate cleanse and then the next episodes will be book joining the discovery or whatever and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty of what the burn is which i'm going to hopefully share my theory i think next week's episode will be a padded one you think hopefully it keeps the momentum that they set up on the back of episodes one and two because i think episode one was a an excellent episode i think episode two was a slightly dialed down but still enjoyable episode what i don't want to happen is over the course of the next two or three episodes while they're trying to get these the new story thread and the chess pieces into position that they lose that momentum that they sort of picked up from episode one because that has happened over the last few seasons where they've gone through a bit of a blip and it did it in picard as well where first two episodes were excellent and then it went through about three or a four episode slump and it was only when old sexy Riker came into the mix that it picked up again. Yeah and I think that's the problem if you have too many threads left untold. If you keep the episodes quite contained apart from the fact that you know trying to work out what the burn is they've planted that seed early on as long as they deliver what that is I I certainly think it's going to mention what she's done over 12 months because it'd be a bit of a shame for that guy who's been sitting in the beaten up space station to not really get another mention. (laughs) He's waited 40 years for a mention and he gets 30 seconds. I think we might get a flashback to what happened in that year whilst she was on the space station and developed that more and maybe now this dynamic between her and bookshelf where they've gone with their relationship and how they've developed they've picked it up and the guy on the space station has now got massively too big for his boots since he become a commissioned officer he's just changed he thinks he's the daddy throwing his weight around bossing people around he can't be spoken to anymore he's changed power has changed him he's got a hearth and it's got a portrait of him above it <laughs> <laughs> and he smokes a pipe and he has those uh, velvety slippers. Now he's a commissioned officer who's been promoting himself and he is now the head of Starfleet by his own virtue. So have we got any Easter eggs from this episode? Because if there are, oh, I we, completely we missed them. Oh my word, we have. But let me, before we go into that, my friends, let me present you with a theory that will tie everything up. Okay. Those of you who have been avid fans and followers of our Picard Talk podcast will have heard the theory about 
the Borg and Control. Mm. Those of you who are familiar with Discovery Season 2 will also be familiar with Control. And if you've been following, which we hope you have, because you'll be pointless listening to this podcast, the burn was mentioned in Episode 1. Well, my fans and friends, listen in while I take you on a roller coaster ride of my theory. In an episode of Voyager called The Amiga Directive, Voyager was given a mission to destroy a dangerous, unstable molecule called an Amiga molecule. And the Amiga molecule is something that also causes a warp core failure, also a particle that the Borg were after. So let's expand this further. The burn might well have been caused by an Amiga particle which exploded, thus causing all of the spaceships with the crew on board to explode. And Control, which I've alluded to as being a proto-Borg who is also chasing down any AIs and the Borg like the Amiga particle, I think Control may well have caused this burn. Do you want the bad news with that theory? Well, that you fell asleep halfway through? Well, that too. But Control was destroyed when Discovery moved through the tunnel. They got rid of Control, didn't they? That was the whole point of what they were doing. So going by the timelines you've suggested, Control will have had to have recreated itself or not been killed off between when Discovery went through that wormhole right the way through to obviously when the burn happened. And if that was the case, then Control would still exist in this timeline. And going by the fact that if Control did exist at this point in this time, then it would have destroyed all of civilization and all signs of life as per the original timeline predictions. I take your answer and I raise you a card episode and temporal mechanics said. You can't you, you can't say that. that, that that's outrageous. <laughs> That's absolutely outrageous. Uh, I'm happy with the the, the burn suggestion and indeed the Omega particle. And I think this will be a very environmental orientated, you know, fossil fuel type, you're killing space with what you're doing sort of story thread, which is fine. It's not a problem. But yeah, I'm not sure I accept the control. In fact, I've already said I'd be mightily pissed if control is even remotely in this season. It's a theory. I'm happy for for anyone, including yourself or a listener, to write in. How can they write in, Mark? Disco Fever at thepodstation.co.uk or let us know on social media. Of course, I won't be messaging in, largely because I've already just done it verbally and secondly because I can't be asked. That's very honest of you. Swiftly moving on to the Easter eggs. Warning! Warning! Nadala! This episode, did you say you couldn't see any? Well, I say I couldn't see any. To be honest, I can't imagine I was particularly looking. No, I, I didn't notice any if there were some. In fairness, you probably stumbled across some that you didn't realise were Easter eggs or in fact callbacks or observations. But this week actually continues to provide fast and furiously Easter eggs across different places from the short treks, from the books, from existing canon. One actually you picked up on is Starship crashes into planets. And in particular, you mentioned the, the crash on Viridian 3 in Star Trek Generations film but we've also seen in Star Trek Beyond and I think it was because J.J. Abrams series of he did a show called Alcatraz which was sadly cancelled too soon and in the film where the Enterprise crashes and destroys Alcatraz in the future in that scene I think it's him taking a bit of a pot shot also you would have noticed in episode of Voyager with the episode Timeless Voyager actually crashes on an ice planet but also I made a note I don't we think we've seen in any other Star Trek show. Voyager is the only ship to have little legs. <laughs> um, yeah, it did. It was the only one that could land properly, wasn't it? It looked like one of those snappy dogs famous people have. Starship Crash is something that you picked up on. Tilly mentions there were some technical failures on the ship. This sits opposite the episode in which Burnham's computer told her that it was the year 3188 right away. Since at the end of the episode, that year has passed. We were trying to work out why there's a year difference. Yeah think that's probably why they've done that it's a year between episode one and two thought that was quite handy in terms of tying up the year discrepancy maybe we have a reference to the wormhole effect and the what's called the Einstein Rosen bridge you would have seen it in the Star Trek motion picture where they all get blurry that's usually because they had shit special effects in those <laughs> days but in the opening credits which is an easter egg from last week we now end with the diagram a Einstein Rosen bridge is in real science a theoretical concept that would allow space and time travel possible via a wormhole, which means control. 
<laughs> Just saying. You're not letting uh, that stick go, are you? <laughs> a mention of a graviton beam. Uh, this was mentioned throughout Trek, more notably mentioned in the episode of Voyager called Scorpion Part 2. Narn, not confused with the bread. The, the <laughs> we don't even need to make something up for that, do we? To be honest, uh, that really makes me want to curry. She actually gets a mention in the credits. She was Enterprise. on Enterprise, wasn't she? She was in Project Daedalus. Arium gets a credit in that episode. I think what they do is they don't always mention who's in it people will work out who they are boils it really I so quite like her as a character actually she hasn't done an awful lot yet the humour that she comes out with she's very Reno with her one liners she's quite yeah. to the point and quite blunt about the way she does it the fact that she's now getting a listing in the credits would indicate to me that she's now being upgraded to a regular well she's not going anywhere is she <laughs> she can't go back to the Enterprise that's, that's true we see Captain Pike's broken table after the crash and they're in the ready room and there's a broken table in the foreground which was in season two now before you go any further with that now in the jj abraham's universe i think it was in the films or in some of the more recent it might have even been the picard ones when there's been a mess like some damage done and there's rubble on the floor of the ship there's little robots that come out and clean it all and tidy it all up in fact it might have even been on discovery when this has happened i'm just curious as to where all these little things are because it'd be quite handy wouldn't it with all the mess that's on the floor as a result of what they've just been through the robots would start tidying it up in fact I think it was it was it was in season one where the robots were going on the outside of the ship to start repairing it as well the opening shot of this season shows little robots doesn't it yeah well so where they are, are they why are they not showing them cleaning up the mess on the floor in, in Saru's office that's a very good question and if people want to write in and find out I mean worker bees are usually found working on ships whilst they're in dry dock you ain't getting any drier than being crashed on the planet its surface. <laughs> Well, we'll have to put a big shout out to Space RAC. <laughs> Jeffrey Tubes get mentioned. It was designed by a guy called Jeffrey. Matt Jeffries, to be, be accurate. And he'd come up with a concept art for the USS Enterprise in the 1960s. So they were just called that as a homage to him. Reno, she had what she nicknamed the kids. She had these little robots. And in fact, we see the robot in the Jeffries tube with Stamets, I think, as one of the robots. Did you um, find it a bit weird that Reno had to explain to Stamets how to get into the panel to carry? out the repair given that Stamets seems to fancy himself I know he's more of a, a biologist but actually seems to have some element of engineering understanding and, and acumen certainly you'd expect him to have enough knowledge to know that the thing in his hand would be sufficient to open up a panel in the wall probably give him enough credit that he would know that a sharp burny thing would splice through metal I probably wouldn't say it was his primary skill set I did think the Jeffries tubes have halved in size since Picard was and his flute in one of them and it's not as if the shorter space massive isn't it <laughs> the ship's huge but they've got like the world's smallest Jeffrey's tubes but I just put it down to the fact that he's probably either very arrogant or not proficient in panel removal <laughs> <laughs> you so, failed that exam. Yeah, he needs to get himself back to a uh, panel removal class and uh, get himself requalified. Um, so, no, good point. They get onto the icy planet. Saru tells Tilly that they're going to get a treatment from Dr. Pollard, your good self, to be able to breathe naturally because the atmosphere clearly isn't M-class standard. We've seen this before in the original series, A Mock Time, where Bones gives Kirk a shot. I had an issue with this as well because if they have an injection that enables them to re breathe the atmosphere, atmosphere outside and they have that injection before they leave the ship which obviously has the atmosphere that they're able to breathe right there and then does it not throw their body in because presumably what they're doing is they're changing the chemical balance and inner workings of your breathing systems to adapt to the atmosphere well if you do it while you're still in the ship are they not going to choke to death on the ship because the atmosphere is different probably i think it's probably like they do with deep sea divers who breathe a different mixture of oxygen nitrogen and then have them sit off to allow for creative thinking i suspect they won't film like an episode of 24 every nuance of what happened you might have to use a bit of creative license and whilst we assume that Stamets hasn't been on panel removal class they will be in a room when they come back to the ship that allows their body to reach a natural equilibrium of the, the ship's atmosphere i know we're being pedantic know. but hell if we've got a podcast about star trek i think we've uh, we've kind of already proven that being pedantic is in our nature <laughs> absolutely 
absolutely. We don't always have the answers, so we're always grateful for people to write in. I would say that behind the scenes, there must be some decompression room for them to equalise when they come back to the ship, having been out. Do you think they still rub themselves in that sexy oil that they used to do in Enterprise? Oh, how many young boys found themselves watching that? (laughs) Several times. Yeah, everybody, as soon as they knew there was an away mission and it was going to be involved to Paul, they were like, yep, I'm watching this episode. Oh, yeah. where do my parents go to bed? To be fair, there's probably a whole generation of 14-year-olds who only think that there's one episode in that season. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been in the days of videos. I was like, hang on a minute, why is the pause button ruined? <laughs> it's worn out. <laughs> yeah. The pee that's on the pause button's just been peeled off because you've been rubbing it too hard. <laughs> and also the pause button... <laughs> I'm moving swiftly on. Oh, my word. Anyway, yes, let's get back in the room. We get the mention of, well, it's the things that they're trying to look for when they're on the planet, which is Transdator and Rubindium. These are both things that have been referenced in Star Trek. The Transdator was mentioned in an episode, A Piece of the Action, in an original series episode, which is apparently an essential part of Starfleet equipment. And Rubindium is an element used in the episode Patterns of Force, uh, which was used to create transponders. Bok and Kirk had implanted in their arms. I don't know whether she's referencing a real world element the both Star Trek canon the other thing that is mentioned we talked about earlier the robes that they were wearing knitted by your gran <laughs> to do their first contact inverted commas these are things that I think we've seen before Burnham and Saru wore them in making contact on Kaminar I also which I think was called Sound of Thunder and Kirk and Bones wear them in the beginning of Star Trek Into Darkness in the meeting in the western style bar or saloon Tilly references a regulation that's taken directly from a 90s novel Starfleet Regulation 256.15 the exact regulation states officers shall show professional behaviour at all times and it was written in 1997 we really delving deep in the old easter eggs for Star Trek lore we get a mention of geranium alloy this was what Stamets was impaled with in the previous season he always gets and what dickheads put on the tyres to make the crappy astras look better oh do you mean the ones with the uh, hoover extensions on yeah and the surfboards <laughs> that sound like lawn mowers when they're yeah, trying to I mean, accelerate when you've got a decent car why would you want to spend three or four grand making it sound shit well they don't have a decent car that that's the point. What they do is they buy a shit car, spend the equivalent of what they could spend to buy a good car, making that shit car sound stupid and look ridiculous. Just to highlight the fact they just sell a tip some neon blue lights underneath. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to level the twattiness up to 10, uh, <laughs> put neon lights on to say, I'm a dick. But geranium alloy, which is not a flower, was the shard, was what Stamets got impaled by. It's also what is used for the bulkheads on the starships. However, the earliest reference that I could find is from the original series episode, The Menagerie, where Kirk mentions it. it's what shuttlecrafts are made from. Vino mentions that they're not on Terralesium, and we only saw that briefly in season two, episode New but the interesting thing with this is although she mentions it she doesn't appear in that episode she joined in a previous episode called brother think about that write in tell me why that's happened is the villain who we see as i mentioned uh, zara has the same job as bookshelf (laughs) we get to see the use of the darts from Saru, obviously, since his ganglia were not actually doing anything they're supposed to he's do. He's swollen ganglia. Are we saying he's gone through puberty? Is that like when you know when you go through puberty and you get really angry and you can't leave yourself alone? Is ganglia. <laughs> you, know, you walk past a gust of wind and you've got an erection, that type of stuff. <laughs> and he's now got spiky ears now that shoot darts. An interesting development. Very. Uh, they haven't explained whether they get replaced. They haven't explained whether or not there's any poison on the end of them because it just looks like they were painful. I thought there might be some sort of poison on them that kills people. Well, it's clearly a defence mechanism. They seem to be more valuable to him in that situation than his ganglia ever were. It seemed to be something that happened that was dangerous and then his ganglia go, oh, by the way, something's happening. Well, that's no good. So I'm hoping they, I mean, they developed that 
more to explain what they do. As mentioned earlier in this episode, there's a reference to the Tellerice Exchange that must be another group that's working similar to the Orions that Burnham and Buck had visited in the previous episode. Gravitational waves are referenced by Zara the villain. That's how he understands that they are time travellers. This was referenced in the episode City on the Edge of Forever, the original series. They were led to the Guardian of Forever by strange gravitational waves, which later revealed their time portal. There is a reference to plasma manifolds, EPS relays and conduits, classic technobabble of all things Star Trek. If you want to hear about anything Star Trek techie, the writers just throw in EPS manifolds. Oh my God, how many have you got? One on the last two now, my friend, the last two. For someone who didn't see any, were you asleep at the wheel? <laughs> Clearly. Zara mocks Saru in the bar scene about his not understanding the use of pigeon, which is shortened language, and he refers to, I don't know whether I'm going to say this correct, a Vadrish captain. If anyone who's watched the episode in the Short Treks, which is on Netflix, who are not a sponsor, anyone who's watched the Short Treks, there's an episode called Calypso, which also takes place in the distant future, and it mentions a Vadrash who is obsessed with old things, and the writer tells Wayne Rooney that's what allegedly allegedly is it allegedly, is it allegedly well, or no it? I think I think he was proven but we'll, we'll say allegedly just to cover our asses just in case because Wayne Rooney isn't a sponsor <laughs> if he wants to be one <laughs> and neither is his MILF <laughs> Gilf, I think you'll find. Oh, the Gilf, okay. The writer confirmed that actually Badrash is another word for federation, but it's the first time we've heard it outside the short Trek Calypso. And then finally, Tractor Beams. Boom. We've seen this so many times. Context is for Kings, your favourite episode. That, my friend, is all the ones I saw, but I'm sure avid listeners will have spotted many, many more. Blimey. After all of that, what would you give this episode out of 10? Eight. Okay. We're not returning into our standard seven score then any particular reason i think again the same as last week's episode is i quite like the fact that we're not contained on a starship i take on board what you've said there was a lot of character development there was a lot of humor which for me is massively important it wasn't too heavy i didn't feel that the episode ended quickly for those reasons i've given it an eight we're not spending a lot of time walking the corridors running the corridors we're just out in the expanse of well iceland <laughs> i think i would give the story element Seven, and I would give the character element nine, so I'm going to split it down the middle and say it was eight. It wasn't as good as last week's, but it was still a good, strong episode, and hopefully we'll continue to maintain this momentum. If it carries on like this, I think this will be my favourite season. Yeah. Whether Control's in it or not, it will be. Whether hopefully it, is it won't be. <laughs> the next poll you do, let's yeah. ask the listeners. Let's ask. Yeah, yeah you tell us. Big. Hopefully you've enjoyed the show. Hopefully you agree with us. If you don't agree with us, let us know. We've given you all the details. If we have to give them again then quite frankly you don't deserve to be able to get in touch with us give us a five star review that'd be awful cool because that then gets us seen by more people promotes the show generally and it's always good to know that there's actually people listening to the show as opposed to just ourselves talking in a room on our own which is something that we do for the other remaining time during the course of a week we're going to be with you again next week with episode three's rundown which is called people of earth fantastic we will watch the episode called People of Earth, which probably won't be based on Earth, probably won't be in any way associated with Earth, but we look forward to dissecting it nevertheless. Mark, pleasure as always. Oh, absolute pleasure, my friend. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Away team out. Away team out.